Real Kipper and Born, show number 75. We are joined by Craig Simpson. Uh, Simmer, are you with us? Yeah, I got you. You guys got it all together there? <laughs> yeah, we got it all sorted out here. Sometimes a few hiccups trying to get things sorted out as we uh, as we do things from home. But, uh, you know, we, we were discussing the Islanders game uh, off the top of the show. And uh, what were your takeaways from this Saturday night as they, they got the win, uh, win on Long Island? Uh, what did you see different about that Leafs team uh, in that Islander game that maybe you hadn't seen before? I don't know. I think it's just a natural progression of you're looking for a bit of a bounce back. You know, so much was made of uh, the comments coming out of the New York game. You know, as a player, you know when you've had a lapse. You know when maybe the game collectively has been slipping a little bit. Uh, the, the good thing with the team was, you know, as much as the disappointment of losing that Arizona game, and, and I know that was one that if you look back, you say, God, we should have had that. We could have kept a really good run going. Instead, that's a blip. To be able to bounce back and beat a team like St. Louis, albeit losing again yet another 3-1 lead, but they came back and they scored and they got the win. You know, I, I think that sort of keeps you level-headed. Though. So on the heels of the Ranger game, I think you're just looking for your team to respond get back to the structure of your game, which you always have to have when you're playing a Barry Trotz team. And, you know, I I thought it's amazing, you know, when you get through little trends, when you go, oh, gosh, here we go again. we got another 3-1 game. Is this going to happen again? Uh, I think the third period was sort of the key factor in that one to say, is there going to be something that happens that derails this team? And, you know, let's face it, everybody's looking at this group from a playoff perspective. And that's what's happened in the last, you know, three, four times in the playoffs that momentum swings in a series, you lose a lead, whether it's in a game or in a series, and you're not able to respond. So uh, I think the positive out of that third period was they, they kept their game the way that you needed to play. They had good structure to it, and they didn't allow anything like that to creep into your consciousness because that is really the, the worry that you have as a group when you've seen those losses or those uh, leads get squandered in four of your previous five games and, and they didn't allow it to happen. And they, they walked that game home pretty comfortably. And I think they would have left feeling pretty good about themselves and, you know, all in all pretty good about a road trip, a three, two and one six game road trip is, is not, you know, uh, the end of the world by any stretch. Guys, I'm back. I pushed all the right buttons, and uh, all, is, all, is, all is good in the tech world again. Uh, Craig, we, we know uh, the emotional uh, weekend that it was for the Islander organization, been well documented on our show and everyone else's. Uh, and the Leafs certainly take full credit for getting the job done and doing what they needed to do. But there was a part of me that uh, watched them come off the Ranger game where they were challenged uh, – um, from a physical point of view by their coach, I, I, I would have liked to seen a bigger push from the New York Islanders. I don't think they had 10 shots on goal throughout yeah. uh, halfway through the game. And there was a small window of your game that you covered Saturday night where they did push physically. And I thought, you know, for, for, for a short stint, uh, the Leafs didn't really have an, an answer to that, but we we didn't get the challenge out of the Islanders Saturday night. Therefore, it makes me, you know, a little apprehensive to, to give a, a full a blessing on, on where the Leafs go from, from that New York Ranger loss. 
Yeah, there was really only just that one. You're, you're right. It seemed like the push was coming a bit. You saw Martin get in the head. You saw Zika's come in, and, you know, the D got knocked down. And I, I said there, as you know, Nick, there's stretches in a game. It's there In playoffs, it's more prevalent, you know, throughout the game that you always know you got to be ready to get back, get the puck quickly, get it distributed because you're going to get knocked on your rear end if you don't. So, uh, but in the course of regular season, typically you say, Oh, okay, here comes the push from our opponent. Can you take that hit, make the play? And what you have to do during those stretches, you, you know, you can do one of two things. You can ratchet up your physical game to match it and push back in that regard. Or if you are, which the Leafs can be when they're at their best, a really good puck possession team, if you can make those two, three, four quick little passes and support and get that aggressiveness from your opponent, you know, uh, behind you, then all of a sudden you create opportunities that way. And it almost forces, in this case, the Islanders to slow back a little bit because they're getting beat trying to be aggressive. And so there's one of two things, you know, I don't think, the DNA of the, the Leaf team, like you're talking about, Nick, is to say, okay, it's time for us to get hit and it's time for us to get knocking their D down. I think typically, and you can argue the merits of good or bad with this, typically it's, okay, we got to start making quick support passes, make quick plays, get our transition, and now we got control of the puck again. And, you know, if, it is hard to say, can you see that Leaf team do the – the uh, former in terms of being more physical and, and imposing their will. I think typically what you do see from them is, you know, doing what they can do really well, which is puck possess and, and make quick plays and quick support. And then uh, almost force your opponent to stop that aggressiveness because you're able to pick them apart. Simmer watching that game and watching Morgan Riley, uh, you know, another game where he's fantastic and plays big minutes for them. I'm, I'm thinking, how important is this guy to the Leafs? Like if you had a playoff series and you could take away one of the core four forwards or Morgan Riley, like uh, you can make the case. I think that Riley is as important as any one of those guys, maybe not named Matthews. Well, I, I, I think uh, without question, I think he's typically been, you know, the driver of pushing the pace of the play from making that good outlet and then jumping in at the appropriate time. I think when he's on top of his game, he has confidence in his defensive positioning and his ability to recover if he does jump up offensively. He's got that speed and got the good reads, and he's got a good partner in Brody to understand how to get back and not be out of place and not you know, cause the big uh, gaff that creates a two-on-one or a three-on-one because you've been aggressive. So uh, I think it's it's exemplified when you're missing Muzzin as a defensive stopgap there, uh, Hall as his partner. You know, it was pretty much on display that, you know, any team that loses is their third and fourth uh, guys are, are going to struggle a little bit on the defensive side. But I don't think there's any question that it's Morgan Riley on the back end that really is the pulse in terms of the speed of the game, the offensive side of the game, in terms of how uh, how the Leafs are going to play from the back end. Wednesday, Craig, we may see uh, Matthews, Marner, and Nylander play on three different lines uh, based on what we're seeing uh, to start this week. You might be the perfect guy to ask this because you are a highly skilled top goal scorer when you saw your line dummied down when it comes to skill, 
is your first thought uh, is I don't like this or is it maybe time to get back to simplifying my game a little bit? Maybe this might not be a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, listen, everybody, as you know, has an ego. I mean, you're not, you're not playing in the national hockey league if you don't have one, because it's what drives you, whether in a positive, it can be a negative, but for the most part, your ego has to be checked, but it also has to drive, you know, what kind of response you make. And so if I've been a first line left winger the entire year and sort of the message comes down, I'm going to go down and play uh, on the third line and have a little bit of a different view, you know, that response has to be okay. You know, the coach isn't liking something about not just necessarily my game because it's not always, uh, indicative on the player himself. It's looking at, I don't like the feel of our lines, our top two guys. They're getting a little stale. And sometimes you got to do press that ego and push that button of the ego of your player and say, I'm going to give you a new challenge. Like, show me what you can do and show me why either you can make that third line now be a much, much better line with your skill and what you bring to it. And by doing that, you're also saying, I'm going to show you that I can take my game to another level. So I, I think, you know, Nick, you got 82 games during the year. You can't just keep throwing the same group out. I mean, even, you know, we're, I was very fortunate to have Mark Messier and Glenn Anderson as line mates basically for about four and a half years. But there's always times where the line, the team's not going well, the group's not scoring collectively, you're not getting enough production from the bottom six. And a move is made and you got to take it as the player to understand that that's a part of 82 games. And that's the part of looking at different uh, lineups and looking at different matchups and looking at different players. How do they respond to each other? And so you have to take that and not allow that decision or that button push to ruin your game. You got to show that, Hey, I, I deserve to be where I was and I'm going to show you that I can run any line. Like I can be a factor anywhere in the lineup. And, Ultimately, if you take that tact and take that mentality as a player, the team's going to do, uh, you know, improve because of it. And I think you're going to show a lot to your coach just what you're made of as a player himself. Craig, you talk about the team, you know, seeing how they respond with different lineups. One of the things that Sheldon Keith talked about after that game was he said, you know, the team is going to have to get used to playing with him in there, talking about Peter Mrazek. Uh, did you yep. ever play any different knowing that the goaltender in net was not Grant Fuhrer or was not whoever it may be? Yeah, I think each, you know, each situation is unique. When you, when you have a, you know, an all-star type goaltender, you do get comfortable. You do get you know, you know what the guy brings. You know if he lets in two bad goals, all you got to do is get three, and he's going to shut the door when the momentum swings. So I do think it's important to to build a relationship with your goaltender, and the relationship is built totally on trust both ways. You know, if if I make a mistake and we're down, it might not be the goalie's fault. So I got to feel okay. I got to try to get it back. Or you know, you get that feeling with a guy that you know that you know how he's going to respond when there's some adversity or when there's a bad goal, because every goaltender is going to get either a bad goal or a couple of bad breaks. And I would say, you know, Campbell's in the mode right now where he's had a couple of games where that Ranger game, a lot of bouncing pucks and deflected things, you know, it's not always fully on the goalie, but you got to have the faith that you know how he's going to react. So if I'm playing now with Peter Mrazek, I don't know him. Like I've never had the history of him. In Edmonton, 
Bill Ranford. It took Billy, you know, a playoff run when Jersey goes down in 1990 to show us what he's made of as a as a teammate, as a character. And you might have a bad game, but you bounce back from it, and now you know how he's going to respond when things aren't going well. So I think Sheldon's right in saying guys do have to, you know, look at even the slow progression of, of Campbell. The guy's endeared to they like his personality. Okay, you might have a guy that you love his personality, but he can't save a damn thing, and that's not going to get you anywhere. But when you like his personality and you know how he reacts when something's bad or you know how he reacts when we're down by two, we get two back, is he going to now shut the door and, and show that poise and confidence to his teammates that you guys keep going, I got this. And I think that's what the, the message was for Mrazic. He's got it now show that a that's his personality that he's a good teammate that he's a battler if there's a bad goal that a defenseman makes a mistake you don't stare him down you give him a tap and say let's go get it back and you can't recreate that just in practice practice habits go a long way to feeling how your players feel about you but you got to do it in the game and i'm sure that's sort of the message that uh, that sheldon was saying about having to get him in there to get that feeling and to get that scope of you know he might play a significant role or he will play a significant role with so many games in so many nights coming down the stretch hey craig late, late last week we heard sheldon kind of talk down um the soft and purposeless comments yeah and i'm just wondering uh you know is is it now kind of uh, pushed to the side a little bit with this group or is it something that's going to hang with them throughout the back half of this season. And is it necessarily a good thing or a bad thing in, in that, uh, knowing that that's out there for this particular group every game they play until the end of the regular season? Yeah, I don't think any, you know, as a player, you, you know, when you thought the game was going to be easy, you got up three to one and you just, you played soft. Like, I think, you know, the the words, I understand why, uh, especially in this marketplace, especially with the history, especially with what that word itself connotates in terms of all oh, the makeup of your team now, and you're, you're not a hard enough thing. I, I think from a player's perspective, Nick, you know, we played a hard game tonight. You know, like when you're doing well, you, you're hard on the puck, you're hard on the forecheck. So what's the opposite of hard? Well, it, it's soft. So it's literally semantics in terms of words, but I do think, you know, there was definitely a conversation between uh, um, Dubis and, and Sheldon saying, you know, that's, we, you, you can say we didn't play hard enough, but putting a connotation of soft, I think, is what everybody got their back up a little bit. As a player, if you're analyzing that last game, you would agree with what's going on. And let's, let's not kid ourselves. Players aren't sitting listening to everything that's talked on the radio or, or talked afterwards. I think the messaging from Sheldon just got into a level that they say, we don't want to now give every, uh, every radio station a chance to talk about that as, as really a label on our team. So right. the, the, at the end result, you guys, you know, it's just how do you respond to it? And I thought they responded to it okay in, in the last game, and now is another critical stretch that starts with a good Anaheim team on Wednesday – that you are going to have to play hard on the puck and hard on the check to have success. So I, I think it's gone. 
the the results that come up next will be sort of the key of where's this team at and i think the shuffle of the lines is showing you know you get stale january to me i don't know if it was for you nick but january to me was always one of the hardest months it just seemed like you're not quite halfway and you've gone through christmas time which is busy and big games usually and this was different with so few games and so much time off it's always a difficult mental time so I'm not surprised that that's a time when you can shuffle things around a little bit to try to keep guys sharp and on edge. 40 so plus let, games. You're, you're right. It is. It is a. It is one of those. Uh, should I dare say it? Soft, soft spots in the soft schedule. Months. Right. Oh, <laughs> it's soft, soft months. months. <laughs> Listen, this, I, I thrived because all you good players were taking the, the months off. That was my time to eat, boys. That's uh, <laughs> the, um, the. When I hear you talk about that, Craig, I wonder. Is it possible for a Leafs lineup that's got Sandine and Lilligren as their second pair, like it was in that game where he called them soft and purposeless, is it possible yeah. for them to play a hard enough game? Like, if those guys play the hard game you're talking about, can the team still be perceived as soft just because they don't have the horses? Yeah, well, it's a relative uh, discussion, isn't it? Because sure. yeah, yeah. You're, you're not a big body that's going to go in and get in and make the big hits or stand guys up. Hey, I, I would say... Sandine, when he's playing his best, plays pretty hard. And he's not afraid to jump in and make a hit with his body. But the physical part of it is not going to, you know, send the message that, man, we're a hard, hard team to play against. So you're, you're, you're right. Your personnel limits that mode. I've always felt, though, like even the really good teams are, again, using the word hard. They're hard with their sticks. Like, they're great sticks. Like, I look at the... Even Mike, uh, William Nylander, when he's playing well, he's got a hard stick that he turns pucks over defensively with it, gets in, wins those little battles along the boards, got a really good active stick, knocks the other guy's stick off, gets it back, and he's gone offensively. Same to be said with his offensive game. When Nylander's not playing well, and we'll use the quote-unquote soft, that's not a part of his game. And it, that's not a being physical. That's just being hard everywhere where you need to win a battle. And when you go into a corner and you're six foot nine like Zidane O'Chara, you're going to win the battle on a physical battle. When you go into a corner and you're five foot 11 and you're, you know, 50 pounds less than a guy, you got to win the hard battle with positioning, with quickness, and with a hard stick. And that's, I think, what the least, many of the least players, just by stature in that one, have to play that way. But man, when you're playing that way on a consistent level, you're pretty damn hard to play with if you're good at it. Hey, Craig, one more before I let you go, and that's, uh, again, you might be the, the best guy to ask this, uh, the power play and something that, uh, you know, you understood well, especially in your Edmonton days. And and the Leafs are going to have to have this thing working, uh, you know, yep. perfection in the playoffs because they're going to just have to be one of those teams that if you challenge us physically and you end up in the box, we got to make you pay. Uh, 0 for 2 Saturday night, not, not the, the worst thing in the world, but – just how you see the this thing evolve with them because I I think their strengths are below the hash marks when they're working it down low uh, behind the net they seem to have a tremendous amount of success I know we just spoke of Morgan yeah. Riley but Morgan to me is not you know your perfect quarterback power play kind of guy and it just seems it 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 just evolves so much better from below the hash marks than it does when it when they bring it at the top of the umbrella. And just your overall thoughts of what you've seen out of that, both good and bad. 
Well, I always feel the success of power plays are usually the culmination of the confidence of all the parts. Like, you look at the stretch that they went on where they had, like, nine straight games, 14 goals in nine games, but all their top players during that, you had Matthews on, you know, 11, 10-game goal-scoring streak on the road. You had uh, Nylander and Tavares had points, I think, in 14 of 16 games in a row. Like when everybody collectively as an individual is confident and playing well, that translates into the power play. I don't know if you've been watching the Edmonton Oilers. You know, they had one goal in the last 11 games. Not a surprise that that was a struggle stretch where McDavid wasn't playing at a high level, uh, you know, dry sidle the same way. It's the sum of the parts and the confidence that they're each playing with. When you're playing well, the power play is just an opportunity to freewheel a little bit. Like, snap that puck around without telegraphing it, without being nervous about trying to make the right setup or the right play. You notice this team, when they're snapping it around and moving laterally, down low, side to side, up high, back down low. But that's not so much a a putting a, a plan in place. That's knowing our roots, knowing our routines and what we're trying to attack but you're doing it with such confidence individually. And I think that that stands out. And Nick, that's why playoffs are a different animal because playoffs. Now, all of a sudden you're down one in a game, you need a power play. You're not thinking that relaxed, easy way. You know how damn important it is. And sometimes you get static. Sometimes you get tight and sometimes that's where it breaks down. And the stakes get higher and higher from here on in. (laughs) Hey, Craig, really, really appreciate your time. Uh, great to hear you back on uh, on Saturday nights, and we look forward to your next call. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, guys. Take care. Good to have. Uh, good to be on. Thanks. Yeah, Thanks, Craig Zimmer. Simpson, Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, the power play, uh, to me, is, is going to be their bread and butter, JB. Uh, mm-hmm. That's really what it's going to come down to. And, and Saturday night would be one of those examples where you only get two, two cracks at it. And... Uh, it's got to be the difference maker for them. But, uh, you know, that's uh, like Craig said, that's a lot of pressure and, and pressure situations. It's a beast in the playoffs. It is. And, you know, you hear all these uh, this commentary on teams that aren't tough can beat you with their their power play. Right. That's that's kind of what the Leafs are going to be. If they don't have the guys who are as physical, they have to make other teams not want to be physical by being deadly on the power play. They have this season. But you're right. That can tighten up and dry up in the, the postseason. Yeah, you think Nylander will have a problem with the perception he's on uh, a third line with Kampf? I don't know. I love that that conversation, though, because I, I'm kind of, you know, I think that I did when I was playing and I was coming up through the minors. But, like, if I'm Nylander and I'm making $7 million a year and, you know, they know my role, the season is going well, hopefully you just go, well, you just play as hard as you can in the role you're in and you help the team win, right? Is it, or is the ego still playing a part to, as Simmer was talking about? Yeah. I, I would hope that uh, Nylander's at a place now where he understands that, uh, uh, again, 30, 35 goals, 40 goals won't matter because everybody starts game one of the playoffs with a zero. And yeah. that's, that's all that's going to matter for these guys from here on in. And really, I don't know, do they end up winning the division? Do they get a wild card spot? Uh, it won't matter. What will matter is how many rounds you can win. Yeah, That's what Leaf fans say, want. I don't, I don't love the look of it on paper. I, I, if I was Nylander, I'd probably be kind of pissed here looking like yeah. he's been one of their better four, but listen, 
If he is, we're in, if it, the Leaf fans are in trouble, Sammy, if he's pissed. But I, I would be pissed, but I'm, I guess I'm just more of a baby. Anyways, I just think that there's a <laughs> real chance, if that works, to be a hell of a move. I really do. Well, I if don't this, mind if the this idea. lineup works, I really do think it gives them some real depth. They've been wanting to try it, like he said. And you can still flip him up on the top line here and there. You can still give him shifts with the other guys. Like, I don't think he's going to be playing less than he's been playing normally, even though he's skating on the third line. So I think there is a chance that this works. Well, th- th- there should be no scenario where it, it, it doesn't work, to be quite honest with you. Uh, okay, that's you, fair. You, it, it, and it, all you need to do is plant the seed in these guys that when we're in the playoffs and we need a different look, you guys can come back to this You've played a few together. months ago. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, Camp can go get the puck and do the work, dirty work. Kerfoot's a disher first. Nylander's a shooter. Like, the the pieces are there in theory for him to get just as many chances, you know? Yeah, I don't mind this at all, to be quite honest with you. And I don't mind that uh, he's trying different looks from here on end because you you may have to go to a different look. And you don't want the guys feeling like uh, they've they've got they've got nothing to look back on as uh as any type of a of experience and or in the rate yeah you, you say oh we're desperate right? like in the playoffs you're like a oh, coach is desperate he's never done this before well yes he has you yeah. know that's nice it's nice to have that in your pocket and it and it helps that 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 theory that's out there that the regular season's a dress rehearsal for the real season that's what yeah that's what this is a dress rehearsal okay let's take a quick break because we got aaron ward back on the show there's another guy that could talk a pit bull off a meat wagon, eh? <laughs> Aaron Ward after the break. You're listening to Real Kipper and Born. So I got to come clean. When we opened up our last uh, block, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't have my earphones plugged in. <laughs> Listen, I, that takes a big but, man to own up to that, not just blame that, the, the tech guy. That was the issue. So one of my first, quick story, one of my first uh, uh, hits (laughs) at the Vancouver Olympic Games in 2010 was with uh, uh, Darren Millard, I think, Darren Pang, and Bob McKenzie. And uh, we did the hit, and uh, I'm like, that was so calm. That was nice. We had all the time. I had all the time in the world to talk. And then the three, three guys are looking at me going, like, are you an idiot? They were screaming for you to shut up. And I, and I, and I, I looked down and my uh, my headset was unplugged. <laughs> I, I could have awesome. easily been I could have easily been fired that first day. In, in fairness, I recently had a TV appearance where I was mad at the tech people all day because I couldn't hear anyone. I just had earwax in my IFB, and I couldn't, I couldn't hear anyone. So, you know, at least yours wasn't just being general, generally disgusting. Is, it, is that not like on the first day of work, one of those first lessons that they teach you, clean earwax out of your headset? I, I didn't learn how to do any of this, man. I'm just throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. <laughs> well, let's hope uh, Aaron Ward's uh, earphones are are wax free uh, when he joins us in a few minutes. Uh, but uh, oh, he is there. So that means no earwax, no earwax. Listen, he's he's done enough TV in his days where there's probably a lot of a lot of stories about Aaron Ward's uh, earphones being unplugged or earwax and all of that. 
I wouldn't tell you that I was high maintenance over my hockey career, I mean, my TV career. <laughs> but I, I will say this. I, I did routinely make the network buy me a new earpiece every year, given the fact that quite possibly an extensive science experiment could come from what, <laughs> what happened in that thing. But, but one, one, one of, the, one of the, the, sneaky, the sneaky tricks, though, is when you get an iPhone and you get that thing for popping out the SIM card, that thing's amazing for cleaning oh. it out. Now, yes. but that makes you think now going forward, don't ever borrow a SIM card uh, extractor from anybody in TV <laughs> going forward. <laughs> I am. I'm so, the Kipper, worst. With, Kipper, I got a yeah. question for you. What does it say about um, your 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 partner on radio that you were able to go through a whole radio hit, not even listening to him or hearing him? Yes. <laughs> yeah, correct. For like a good four minutes. Barney, do you feel bad? Do you feel bad at all? Or no. Are you starting no, to wonder? No. Okay. To, to feel bad, Wardo, and I would have to be delusional to think that he usually listens to me. So I, I'm I'm well past that. <laughs> It's. I see the lips moving. I'm just not. I just cannot grasp exactly what's coming out. <laughs> awesome. Oh, I'm sure James Duffy wanted to rip your head off a few times over the years. Actually, I got to tell you that was one of the fine skills that I did develop quickly. Is once I had my producer in my ear telling me to wrap it, I could get out of a comment. It didn't mean the comment made any sense, but I could get out of whatever <laughs> I was saying pretty damn quick. <laughs> So I, I figured that I gave I gave the audience enough credit to think that they were smart enough to interpret what the hell I was trying to say, and that's why I'd step out. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, all right, Leafs. We were talking uh, just a little earlier about uh, the effects of line changes, and right from junior hockey, Wardo and, and JB, you know this as well. One of the like sometimes I. I pull into the parking lot and guys couldn't race into the dressing room fast enough to see what colored Jersey they were wearing for practice. And you know, reds first line, blue second line, greens third line. Uh, And you're like, Oh God, green. Are you kidding me? And you could see the, the life gets sucked out of a guy in in a split second. The moment he sees his practice Jersey. Is there a chance that the Leafs could be going through that when when they walk uh, walked into the room today? Because technically, we see Nylander on the third line with Camp and Kerfoot today. Yeah, but there, I think there's a method to that madness. And and the funny thing is, I actually sound like I'm prepared for this. So if I look at the lines currently, Matthews is center with uh, Case and Bunting, 42 goals in the season. Tavares, Mikheyev, and Marner, 30. Kerfoot, Kemp, and Nylander, 26. For me, that is the mastery of having a guy that has all those assets available and being willing to take chances to spread out, get some parity on your lines. Because here's the truth. When you have that amount, even scoring between your second and third, it opens up so many options to your entire front line lineup. Like, how do you actually defend? If you're the team coming in and you have to assess where your best checker is going to play, like, personally... I feel like the most potent guy on, on the entire Toronto Maple Leafs lineup, if I was to come out as a defenseman and say, beyond Matthews, I would hate to play against Nylander. And so him sitting on the third line, you can sell it to a young guy like him and say, in light of the fact that we have this depth, it's an opportunity for you. You won't draw the same type of coverage. You won't see the same system. You won't match up against the top D pairings. 
you're going to find yourself spotted in situations that will actually sh- show your skill set an even brighter opportunity. I mean, the guy's amazing to watch him play. So I think it's, I think it's a stroke of genius. The, the trouble for these guys is it's one puck and, and so many guys, right? So you get out there on the power play, your top power play in the National Hockey League, I think your top three right now. Why you want to do this is you got to look forward. You got to look forward into how the playoffs have been the Achilles heel of the Toronto Maple Leafs in the past, and that when things tighten up from a, an opponent's perspective, how there's less chances, and, and you're a carry the puck across the blue line type team. Now you have the opportunity to get the get all or some of your guys in vulnerable situations against your opponent. So I think I think it's a smart play. I think you tinker with your your lineup right now, uh, even though you're in a in a tough division. I think Toronto's in a good place where they can start looking at fishing around to see if there's better chemistry somewhere, if this, if this spreading out of your assets is, is better now rather than getting towards the end of the season and wondering if you should have done it to see what you might get. So I think it's a smart play, and yes, I agree. Anybody, I'll give you my example. There was a race between uh, Dennis Wyden and myself every practice to see if we got to be paired with Zdeno Chara. Two reasons. <laughs> One... You never really had to do much out there because you're just basically a complimentary piece. And two, your numbers on the ice went clean up. So, yeah, I, I know about racing to the locker room. Actually, the bigger race was always for pregame skate because that's when the pairing kind of came up. So, Yeah, and that's, you know, I'm curious about that because, you know, I played in the minors, and for me, getting demoted from the second to third line, I didn't care how the Utah Grizzlies played, but I needed to play with good players to get points to get moved up. At the NHL level, is there still ego for guys about how their line is written up on the board? Or, you know, like a lot of times teams have the same second, third line. They're almost equal. But does it matter how the lines get written up for ego purposes? No, absolutely. I mean, listen, with a a collection of talent that Toronto has, you don't achieve this level in your career if you don't have that that innate ego, right? The, The good ego. Not the arrogant ego, but the, the high level of confidence, belief in yourself. And part of that comes with knowing that you're almost competing with the, your teammates. So to walk in that room and to see, even, even though you might have the top producing center, if you're sitting on the second line versus the first, your ultimate goal is to get your name on that board. So, yeah, I, I believe that if, if, if it's harnessed in the right way and viewed the right way, yeah, that exa- absolutely exists and, and it's the right thing to do. You never want somewhere to be satisfied and you want to find motivation at all points in your season, especially we're coming into February to the February blahs. Maybe this is uh, almost a mental tactic to, to get your, your, your team to, to pay attention to what's going on and, and play with greater detail because there's opportunity to move around. The, the real test for Sheldon keep might be if, if it isn't as successful as he might've thought early or the boys aren't getting their cookies at a rate that uh, they're they're comfortable with, how long he sticks with it, and how long he could hold off the the laser eyes on the bench looking over their shoulders right at him. That might be the more interesting aspect of it. If it doesn't turn out great early, how long he sticks with it? Yeah, I haven't looked ahead at their schedule. I imagine that in, in the process of, of doing this. So what we got, right? We got the Ducks, which which I think is is a least decent challenge. Uh, we've got Detroit, who I think is you know Jekyll and Hyde from game to game. So 
I don't imagine that the coaching staff hasn't looked at making this move and also looking out at the schedule and seeing if they, they can buy themselves time in terms of sticking with it. I think that's a valid point is how quickly do you, do you, do you step out of this move because of the fact you think it's harmful to a select few that you need to know are maintaining the right frame of mind, getting the right feel for the game, having, having the points show up. I mean, let's be honest, like the, the most egotistical guys in your team are always forwards. I mean, Let's be honest. Kipper. <laughs> Facts I mean, only. I mean, I mean, we just established Kipper. Kipper wasn't even listening to, to Borny the whole time. So there's a level of arrogance right there. Yes. So yeah, you're you're um, not wrong. You're not wrong. So I I think this is I think this is probably a, a a managed a managed opportunity by the coaching staff to figure out where where exactly they can make changes. So you know, taking it away from the the Leafs, the the Edmonton Oilers finally got a win. They beat the Calgary Flames the other night. Um, one thing that's a bit of an anomaly right now is Connor McDavid has, has no goals in his last nine home games. Uh, what, what's going on with Connor McDavid and his season? Obviously, good statistical season, but are our expect- expectations for this guy are a little higher than that? Well, let's let's take the let's take the Leon Drysaddle situation and and magnify that, right? So Leon's up there and he's expected to come up with an answer for his entire team. Mm-hmm. I think that Connor McDavid probably likely is trying to up with the same response both from a performance end and from a verbal end and he's got to manage it publicly he's got to manage it inside that locker room i think it's a heavy load i think you got a guy that that even though you brought in a guy like duncan keith who's supposed to kind of bring across some of experience from from a dynasty that existed for a period of time in chicago and and try and impart his his experience and his lessons onto a, a captain I don't think that Connor McDavid, even though he is, you know, McJesus on the ice, I don't imagine that this isn't wearing on him. I mean, the fact that he's out there and he, he can't stop a puck for this team, right? So we've heard people say he's got to change his style. I and mean, maybe it's starting to creep into his mind. Maybe he has to change his style. Maybe if we really look at him and over, the, over those nine games uh, at home, maybe he's trying to do something different that isn't, that isn't serving him well. But he can't stop a puck. He can't break the puck out for his decor. And he sure as hell can't play one-on-ones because we, we, we would obviously expect him to be the catalyst offensively. So the difficulty for a young guy, I think, is he may be perhaps in his own head. And here's the, just for one guy, the same situation for everybody there in Edmonton. And, and, uh, and we've all been on the locker room, and you know what's happening in management. You can't escape it when it's in the media. You can't escape it in the locker room because you talk about it amongst yourselves. When the shoe is going to drop, in some capacity, whether it's going to be a massive group of trades or, or likely a head coach gets the ax, you almost get yourself to a, to a, um, a zombie-like state of waiting for that to happen, knowing it's going to happen. And it's not like you want to not perform. You just kind of get numb to waiting for it because you know that inevitably there's going to be an upcoming, very soon upcoming transition and change that you have to newly audition, newly perform for a, a head coach or – you have to get acclimated to a, a group of new guys and, and reformulate how the hierarchy works in that locker room. So I think Edmonton is a bigger mess than we give them credit for. Aaron, we, we've, we've gone, we've played long enough to know that we've always had a few teammates here and there that had behind the scene issues with one or two reporters, right? I mean, it's oh hell yeah, it's always been there. Um, I'm just surprised in 2021 that it would, it would come to a head on a, on a live presser um, the way it did with uh, Matheson and, uh, and dry sidle. Yeah. Yeah. But, but 
those things are very common from year to year, decade to decade, man. There's there's some guys I've known that would l- love to get one one or two reporters in a back alley, and uh, and it it was it was tough to watch sometimes as a teammate. Well, I'll say this. So, what what wasn't put out there in the mainstream video that we saw was 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 the previous questions, and we all know that relationships in the sports business are tough. And I'm going to take it from the other perspective. I guarantee you there are scribes or, or guys that, that, that work behind the microphone day-to-day with players. They would love to knock them upside the head with that microphone a few times. Like it, it's, part of like, it's almost like a family relationship. The tough part is when you go back to a player who like Leon Dreisettle is not coming up short. His team is coming up short. He's doing what he's supposed to do. We know that there's more to that story just on the surface. We don't need anybody else to tell us the moment someone from the, the a media member says the word pissy to describe a player and a player says, you tell us, you know, or whatever it is, you know there's a history there. The problem with all of this, which we're, we, we can't really address because of the fact that we're restricted with, with COVID, is that gone is the one-on-one opportunity to talk to a guy you work with daily. And top of what you just said about we all had a guy there have been plenty of opportunities to address a guy quietly in the locker room off in the corner and you can be as animated or as raw as you want with it with a newspaper or 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 a tv guy where it doesn't get reported because it doesn't play out on a on a press conference that unfortunately is a symptom of where we are in the environment of of pro hockey today is we want access but now you're putting guys up where it's 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 coverage on steroids, and and we're all looking for a story, especially now to just to figure out what's going in Edmonton. And unfortunately, from for, for uh, Matheson, who I don't know, um, it's it's obviously a tough one for him because he's been vilified by this. He's been made the 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 the, the evil devil, the, the the bad guy. And Leon Dreisaitl has basically in 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 a it's a microcosm up there of what's really happening for that entire team. There's a level of frustration that they can't come up and give you an answer for it because if they did have an answer, the nature of a hockey player is they, they'd act upon it. They'd figure it out. They'd do it collectively and, and come up with that answer and not have to answer it verbally to someone who, who's questioning them. They just go out in the ice and, and execute it, and it's not coming across. So that's, that's unfortunately that's bad because it, it polarized so much of, you know, you saw a lot of newspaper guys getting in behind Madison. You got hockey guys getting in behind Dreisaitl. Somewhere in between, we just gotta we gotta come to an agreement that we gotta do better, and we have to just be realistic about the situation. That COVID makes it so. In order to get access, you're gonna get moments like that, and we have to we have to get past it rather than just you know blowing it up. Wardo, now that you've been on this side of it for a while, how important do you feel like the media is to getting fans the stories they need? Like, how important are these relationships? Because there's some fans who say, well, what do we even need these guys for? Like, just let the players say what they want to play. say. You know, how important is it that these the media members are there to get out of these guys some stories that need to be told? They're essential, and that's why I think one of the best parts for uh, – one, one of the key parts for a TV network, you know, the, the between-game interview, between-period interview, between-game, post-game, whatever it is, is you've got to identify the guys that are, are both willing and capable of saying something enlightening or different. So uh, was it Perlini that was the one in, the, in Edmonton that was sitting yes. up there talking? Be a magnet. Even though the guy's a young guy, go to him, right? 
he's a guy that's willing to talk. He's, he, he makes a, a point. He's not using cliches. He's enlightening. There's all those things. I think you have to understand that if you left it to players, players are not going to tell you because they feel like they're, it's not their job. Their job is to go out and play the game, and, and it's, it's for someone to ask them the provoking question that gets the essential answer out. And you know, we all know, there's guys in the locker room who could care less that they ever get asked a question, and there's guys like me that never saw a microphone they didn't love. <laughs> and so those, those are the guys you got to find. you you gotta, you got to, even though the guy's not, you know, the same complaint about hockey coverage now when you look at panels is you don't get the Crosbys and, 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 the, and the McDavid's up there on the panel. Eventually when they retire to talk about the game, you get the third or fourth liners. The truth is that's the nature of hockey. You've got to accept. You've got to find the guys that love the game and love that aspect of the game and are willing to impart their knowledge if you give them time to, to, to give it to you. So that's, we just got to accept the state of affairs right now. And it is important that there are people out there that can hold teams, players, coaches, owners uh, accountable, and you know it 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 is needed. And well, some so, yeah, have, the answer to your some question, a, yeah. The answer to the question is they're essential because here's the truth: there's plenty of guys in that locker room being held accountable like i've been in different markets i've been in 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 boston where there was a there was a race to get the dirt and i was in carolina where i couldn't tell you where two or three of the guys in the locker room who they were writing for and i was not held accountable in carolina and and i it was a nice place to play until we started to attract national attention going to a different market four guys on on the beat who are like who know everything that's going on Yes, they, they are essential to the running of that team because not only do they hold the players accountable, they hold the, the management account, uh, accountable. And in, in a weird way, and follow what I'm saying, this, there's, there's a way in which they, they can be used in a positive manner. Like players can sometimes leak something out about dissatisfaction about the way things are going that allows for it to be public knowledge. It's, not the, it's, it's sometimes kind of slimy, but... It's sometimes effective, depending on if you do it the right way. So I believe that the, the, the newspaper guys have a role, an essential role. I think sometimes when it gets personal public, that's where we start to yeah. question, whoa, whoa, we need to pump the brakes. And you made a valid point, a really valid point uh, in, in this pandemic on, on the access and the ability to, to go one-on-one. And Jim Matheson's been around a very long time. And, uh, yeah. you know, there's a reason why he's been around a long time. He's He's good at what he does, but yep. where it fell off the rails is in, in that environment. The why are you so pissy? And yep. that that's a comment that needs to be behind closed doors between the two of them. So Jim could look at Drysaddle and go, Leon, why are you so pissy? And Leon can turn around and go, really, really, Jim? We've won two games since December first. Why do you think I'm pissy? Right. And, well, and it's that question. simple. It's that simple. Flip the roles. Flip the roles, and Leon Dreisaitl is sitting at a stall, and there's a, there's a, a gaggle of reporters around with like seven or eight of them. And then Leon Dreisaitl turns to a given reporter in front of everybody and asks the guy, why are you so pissy? Inevitably, where that goes is your, your PR guy is going to step in because he's usually hovering around, and you're going to work that out because there's a certain level of embarrassment. I think the same respect has to be 
has to be taken. Like, I don't think Matheson or any media guy would take being called pissy or criticized publicly in a hockey environment all that well. And I think the players do. Uh, do not either. So I think that's that's where you go. I always think when you when you have to we have to bet something. I'm trying to put my myself in in dry saddle shoes and Matheson's shoes to to flip the roles and see how that would go over. It wouldn't go over very well for either either side. No, I, I am fascinated by the amount you know how media plays into actual dressing rooms. Like, do you believe in the concept of bulletin board material? Did you ever read anything, or have it up in your dressing room, and say, "Hey, here's what this guy said to this newspaper." We, you know, something to actually push your team along. Well, I I, I would tell you that in my day, a third of the guys couldn't even spell newspaper rather than read one. Um, I, I, listen, I, I think that bulletin board material mainly comes from coaching staffs. I don't think players really honestly care what an opponent says because inevitably you have to step out there for 60 minutes, possibly plus, and perform. Whatever you say doesn't really matter, right? Other than, other than if it's a, it's a guy who's going to come out and say, I'm, I plan to fight this guy or, that, or something personal, then that gets noticed. But overall, uh, you know, a, a, a deprecating comment about uh, the opponent. I don't remember, Kipper, if I ever paid attention to it. I think that it's a coach. A coach will put it up and say, and I'll say, I'll give you a name of a coach. Peter Laviolette knew who he had. He had Carolina Hurricanes, a motley crew of guys signed off. I mean, Ray Whitney was getting paid by three teams at once in 2006. So he harnessed the power of disrespect. And he would put those things up. And don't think that Toronto wasn't one of the key ones, right? Because, you know, it's Toronto. He, he picked the major markets and, and decided to get us uh, attentive to the details in that game. Uh, when we played Florida or, or Tampa at the time, we had different, different routes to go. But, yes, I, I think that a coach utilizes the bulletin board material, harnesses it for their disrespect or the underdog status. Other than that, I don't think players really seek out uh, a motivation. I, I think embarrassment's a pretty good uh, motivation if you don't perform well on ice. Well, listen, uh, it'll be uh, interesting to watch this thing uh, get played out a little bit here. But uh, Wardo, we really appreciate your time as always, man. All right, no problem. Hey, I got my headset plugged in, Morning. If you ever need someone to listen to, I'm right here. <laughs> you know, it makes you feel good to know you're there, Wardo. Thank you. <laughs> I'm here for you. Great feedback as always out of you, Wardo. Thanks a lot for doing this, Aaron Ward. All right, no problem. Thanks, guys. Bulletin yeah. board. See, you ever have uh, any? It's such a, it's uh, nothing really stands out, but I, I do recall coming in and uh, and he, he's right. Uh, there'll be people in the dressing room, i.e., a coach or a couple of your leaders that would uh, try to find different ways to motivate the team, and mm-hmm. maybe it's. Just looking at uh, something that was said that uh, portrays cockiness, arrogance, whatever the case is, it's you're, you're trying to squeeze anything and everything out of each guy to go fight the battle, and yeah. it's it, it it's probably a reach at times, but it's worth a try. I think. It, like, what's it going to cost you? A pair of scissors? <laughs> well, that's it. You know, when I was uh, with the Marlies, I can think of once in the postseason, Sheldon had me blow up a quote from one of the guys and actually post it in the dressing room. It was actually, I think, that Burroughs kid who's on Vancouver now. He's with Bridgeport at the time. But, like, you know, I think the guys read it. You know, if any of them are like, 
How dare they say that about us? I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm not sure if they What do you think, Sammy? Yeah, would that motivate you? Yeah, I, I'm thinking about Baltimore board material, and I'm thinking I'm going to a different sport. I'm going to uh, Toronto Blue Jays, going to the Major Leagues of Baseball, and I think it was before Game 5 or Game 4 of the ALCS in 2016, um, the Cleveland Now Guardians had to start Ryan Merritt uh in a in a in a winner take all game, and Jose Bautista came out and he said, "Oh, I think that guy's going to be shaking in his booties." And he said that, and yeah. then he went out there. Ryan went out, Merritt went out there and dominated. And then after the game, he was wearing cowboy boots, and it was like a whole thing. So, God love Jose Bautista, but sometimes he didn't exactly know when to keep his uh, yap closed from time to time. So that's one Baltimore material from a different sport that I always remember. Yeah. Oh, I think he's going to be shaking in his booties. And I remember he said that, and I remember being like, ah, we're losing. We're losing for sure. <laughs> that's All right, let's go to fan setting. We'll go to some uh, news and notes around the, uh, uh, the hockey world. Uh, Jacob Panetta. ECHL uh, player found himself uh, I, I, probably his life flashed right in front of his eyes on an incident uh, uh, with uh, Jordan Subban guys. I know you've probably seen it, heard of it. Uh, it was uh, deemed a, a, a racist taunt by him. Since then, he's apologized, uh, gone on record saying that no racial slurs, uh, denies the actions were uh, racially motivated, but like even for this guy to go anywhere near something like this, what are you crazy? Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, it's crazy right now that in the wake of all the things that we have been through as a culture over the past few years, and it's been a lot. If you're in hockey, it's tough to miss the power that uh, Black Lives Matter has had, and the you know what the HDA is doing, and Stewie, our own Stewie, as hockey equality. Um, you know, we just had Willie O'Ree night. Like to to be as oblivious as that, boy, uh, it comes off in uh, it's just impeccably poor taste, bad timing, everything you want to say. Sammy, you you good? Yeah, I just it was pretty awful, boys. I, yeah. It really yeah, it's just, because it's... it it it. In this day and age, and then it just gives another opportunity to talk about the issues that hockey has, and it's my favorite sport, and it's just it's it's a tough one. It's just a tough one. I I really watched the video with with true disgust, and I really feel for Jordan, and I feel for a lot of black players that have probably been dealing with a lot of this stuff since they were pretty young. So uh, I don't think there's a lot that you can really say about the matter. I just think it's really upsetting, and I feel for all the black players out there that have to deal with this kind of stuff. Okay, let's go to the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Emily Castonguay, uh hired mm. by the uh, Vancouver Canucks as uh, AGM, assistant general manager. Not a real surprise. It was uh, uh, really said that uh, they were targeting a woman uh, in, in a managerial position. Uh, there just seemed to be a race maybe to, to hire her uh, in particular. Perhaps we also heard her link to the Montreal Canadiens as well. Uh, not, not a big surprise here. Uh, but uh, your thoughts, JB? Uh, I think we lost JB. Oh, okay. Um, um, Sammy, just, you, what do you think, bud? I think it's I think it's great that 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 this has happened for her. She's a very very you know 
um, what's the word I'm looking for here, qualified for the job. I mean, she's uh, she was voted one of the top 25 most powerful women in hockey by Sportsnet in 2020. She played four years of Division One hockey at Niagara University. She graduated with, graduated with a bachelor's degree in finance in 2009. National Scholar Athlete Award for success both on the ice and in the classroom. Following her studies in Niagara, she earned a law degree from uh, University of Montreal in 2012. Member of the Quebec Bar Association, a high-powered hockey agent. She got the she got the resume here. If there was ever going to be a, a spot for her to you know, talk about how there's no women GMs across the, the league and the, the NHL, this is kind of how you get start. You get in there, you make a good impression as yeah. an assistant GM, and then you make your way up. And Sam, I mean, uh, I'll never Sammy? take a pardon. I said, does that look like your resume, Emily? Yeah, very similar. We, uh, her and I, I, you know, she. The only thing she's missing there is a delivery guy for Pizza Hut yeah. and uh, working at an <laughs> overnight shift at Max Milk. Those are the two things she's missing for that uh, for that resume. JB, uh, Sam says she's she's qualified for this. Why don't we get your thoughts and then uh, I'll I'll chime in as well. Yeah, you know, one thing that stands out to me in her getting hired is like. You know, every NHL team is fighting for the best men to work for them. They've hired the best of that talent pool. There's this whole talent pool of women. Like You have your pick of the best women in the world right now because none of them, I shouldn't say none, very few of them have been hired so far. So to me, it's good business practice to start paying attention to other pools where you can get great people, increase the diversity, get different viewpoints. It's great. I think, you know, for the Canucks, it's an advantage to be the first people to start to hire women, which I know it sounds crazy that we're even discussing that in this day and age, but here we are. Yeah, and there there are women, and there have been women uh, around, um, but not at this level. And right. Sammy, uh, with her resume, it's a, it's an amazing resume. But assistant general manager is not a starting position. It's one that uh, a lot of people in our industry have worked their way up. And there's some people that have been working their way up, you know, eight, 10 years uh, at, at a pro level. Um, and it, listen, she, she, she could be great. She could be fantastic or she could not be very good. Uh, no different than how we looked at Kyle Dubas when he first came in with limited uh, experience. That was actually Kyle the comparison could, I was going to make. It's a right? good one. It's it's Kyle, right? Uh, limited uh, uh, junior A, limited uh, with the Marlies playing a real uh, real limited role behind Lou Lamarillo at the time. Go down with the Marlies, and then you're you're thrust in there. Um, mm -hmm. But you know there are there will be people with their noses out of joint here on on wow. someone that's been fast tracked. Uh, like Emily at an assistant general manager's job. And it has nothing to do with gender, but everything to do with, is she really qualified to step in as an assistant general manager this early in her career? I think in any line of work, you have people who show extreme capability at a young age and physically haven't had the time to accrue whatever experience, whatever person thinks is necessary. This is what we call you know, like prodigies and people who, who just, uh, Dubas would be one of those where you go, wasn't well, he called Boy Wonder and this, you know, great pro men, you know, prodigy. You know, I don't know how old Emily is, but I'm reading that resume and she's not 22. You know, she's not, she's been through uh, a few things. She's been an agent for a decade. You know, like uh, to me, it's, she's got a, a pretty, 
if they do deem her as someone who has shown this promise, I think she's been around and done enough that you can easily justify that opportunity. It's You know what's tough is it's tough for us on the outside to know how someone does in that role. Because half the time they fire the GM, then they give the job to the AGM. We're like, weren't, weren't they involved in these decisions? So I, I don't even know who's a good AGM <laughs> or not. As, it's the same as an interim coach. It's like, weren't they there the whole time? <laughs> right. Like, aren't they hanging around? Yeah. Well, and, and, and it's a job that, that hides really, really well. Because, you know, as an assistant general manager, you could have your fingerprints all over decisions, unsuccessful decisions, but those will rely and be held accountable by the general manager. You could to, easily wait for Bobby Clark to come out sure. and call you out, Kevin. right? You could, <laughs> you could Emily. Easily... She should have taken. She should have taken Macar. It was her fault. <laughs> it's, it's easy as a general manager, assistant general manager, sometimes to hide behind decisions. Oh, oh that, that had nothing to do with me. That was that was a GM's call. I, I'm yeah. I'm better than that. <laughs> I wanted to take my car. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I I will say this: that I am cheering for her for no other reason. Is I got a 17 year old daughter. And if she's successful, then it buys into my program and my wife's program that you can do and be anything you want in this life. Yeah. Here, oh, here. Uh, here, here, indeed. Yeah, it's uh, times are changing, and sometimes they seem like it takes forever to make changes. And every time we hear stories like the one we talked about earlier with Jordan Subban, can feel like we're moving in the right direction. But I can tell you guys, this week I was reminded, this weekend, that there are a lot of good people in hockey there's a lot of good people on the internet despite all the terrible things we say about them and i'm grateful um for for the good people and the people moving things in the right direction these days well said well said hey justin uh, i I know it was not the easiest of shows to do for you today but uh we appreciated uh uh, your words and uh we wish you all the best i know you're going to join us again tomorrow and then be off i think to new york on on wednesday but uh Great effort uh, by you today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys for all the support and everyone out there who's uh, shared their love too. It means a lot. All right, our thanks to Derek Brandeo on tech. Sammy McKee, always uh, the star of the show. <laughs> Rating and reviews. Give us a note if you get a chance. Thanks for listening. Real Kipper and Bourne right back at you tomorrow.